Well, it is, uh, it's a couple hours post uh, Powerball drawing last night. Um, 925 million, no, no winners in Ohio, I see. Um, it is now $1 billion, by the way. I'm not making any advertisement for that, but that is a staggering amount of money, a billion dollars, even if you took the payout. Um, and, you know, you'd have to spend a million dollars a day for the next, a uh, million dollars a month for the next 40 years. Think you can handle that? million dollars a month for the next 40 years. It's always fun to dream, to think a little bit. What, what would you do if you won the Powerball jackpot? What, what are some things you would do? What would you do? Give it all to the church? Oh, gold star. Right? <laughs> now, I know better than that. <laughs> what would you do? Travel, a lot of travel. Retire, pay off some debts, go buy something new, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting when we think about that and, and what we do when we, we think about winning the lottery or, or getting some kind of, you know, windfall or inheritance, it makes us dream about the future. What could be possible if money wasn't an object? And it reminds us on the inverse that money is sometimes what shackles us. We're talking about being shackled and this idea that maybe we don't have the kinds of dreams that we do because we think financially it's just not possible, we can't do it. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. And so we're just trying to get by. But financial resources do allow us to do some dreaming about what might happen in the future. And so today, I want to talk about being free to dream. Free to, dream. free to dream. What does that look like? What does that mean when financially, we're not just talking about, as we've been talking about the series, not having enough, but that we move from not just having enough to enough and ultimately moving towards more than enough. We've been looking at a story in the, uh, you know, in the, in the Bible where Jesus fed the 5,000, one of the most well-known stories, a miracle that Jesus performed, and we're, we're using that as an, an understanding of maybe putting ourselves in the, the position of the disciples, and the sense and this feeling of there wasn't enough when Jesus you know, saw this, this crowd, and the disciples saw this crowd, and Jesus said, feed them, and the disciples thought, there's no way we can feed them, we don't have enough, we can't make enough money, we can't earn enough money, and then someone, Jesus is like, come on, feed them, what do you got? Because we've got nothing, and they come up with what? Five loaves of bread and two fish. Not enough to feed the 5,000. And that anxiety and the things that we feel around that, when we don't have enough, there's pressure. We can't meet the needs in our life and our family. We want to move from this idea of being shackled to being able to be free to live and to have enough. And, and so they entrusted into Jesus' hands. Jesus said, give me what you have. And they gave over what seemed like nothing to him, and they placed it in his hands, and Jesus said, start getting the people into groups of 50 and 100. Start preparing for a miracle. God wants to do something amazing when we place our resources into his hands, and sure enough, what happened? It became enough. It became enough, and they all ate, and we think, wow, that's an amazing miracle that happened back then. Could it happen to us today? What could God do with our not enough if we place it into his hands? And just as a refresher, last week, we talked about being able to be free to live, that when we have enough, there's a sense of freedom. We don't have to feel shackled that God has given us enough. And we talked about the 100-10-90 principle. That 100% is God's that we are to faithfully manage. We are to have a fiduciary responsibility to accomplish God's goals with the resources he has entrusted to us. We are managers of that, those resources. And trust me, if God gives it to us, if he entrusts it to you, he has given you enough. He's given me enough to do what he wants to accomplish. And then the 10 and the 90 is the first 10 we return to him. It's holy and set apart, the Bible tells us. It's God's money. We return it to him. We don't give it back to God. We're returning and saying, God, for your kingdom purposes, 
When we all do this, we can accomplish what God wants to do through this world that needs financial resourcing. It's the way that he has created that for us. And then he says, and then remaining 90, you can have the remaining 90 to manage for the dreams and the purposes for you and a family and to bless those around you in other ways. And so we manage that, we budget that, we plan for that. So that's where we ended up last week is that there's enough. When we give God our not enough and we put it into his hands, it becomes enough to manage and to, and to live in that way. Well, today I want to talk about what comes after that. The story wasn't quite done yet. And so we look in Mark chapter 6, verse 42, and we pick up for where we ended up last week, where it says, they all ate as much as they wanted. So there's something there, right? There was enough. It was as much as they wanted, but it continues. It says, and afterwards, after they've all eaten, it says, and afterward, the disciples, what did they pick up? Twelve baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Jesus turns our not enough into more than enough. More than enough. Not just enough. Jesus isn't just like, here, just have just barely enough. I'm just going to do it just so you can eat by. No, no. I'm going to give you more than enough. More than enough for you and for me, right? For the others. For you to bless those, to take care of, you know, these disciples, and to take care of the others. And that's what we're talking about over these next couple weeks here as we wrap up the series. That there's an ability to, to be free to dream, and there's ability to be free to bless. And so there's enough for the disciples. And isn't it just like God to go over and above? Now, God's not just trying to get us to eke by. He's not just trying to get us to just kind of keep us on the down low. No, there's an abundance there. There's a generosity. More than enough. I'm going to give you leftovers. Everyone experienced a miracle. Any significance, you think, to having 12 baskets left over? Hmm. <laughs> Come on, Jesus is just so obvious. There's 12 disciples, right? And there's 12 baskets left over. There's enough for each and every one of them. And so now they're walking home with, with baskets, carrying baskets of leftovers. I mean, imagine just being one of the disciples in that moment. Or imagine just being around them, right? And you're, in that, and you're in that setting, and now here they are carrying these baskets, and the crowds are going home, and they're just eating out of their, their basket, and they're going, man, I, can you believe I mean, how this day has gone? Earlier today, we were just like, you know, thinking about all these people. We were hungry, and Jesus is like, you feed them. We're like, with what? And then Andrew shows up with like two fish, and we're like, come on, Andrew, that's embarrassing. And Jesus is like, no, like, give me that. That's fine. I'll take that. And remember, we were feeding all these people, and they just were blown away. Where's this food coming from? Man, <laughs> just carrying their baskets. And now they have enough. Now they have more than enough. They were hungry. They didn't have food. And now there's even a supply for them beyond the need of that day. Isn't it just like God to do that? And we see this major change in, in their emotion and in, in how they were feeling. And you think about reflecting back to the beginning of the story. They were hungry. They were tired. There was anxiety. There was a sense of like, you know, how are we going to do this? And there's just not enough. There's stress. Anyone relate? Financially? We relate. That's the feeling. When there's not enough, when you feel like you're clamped down, when it's tight, when it doesn't work out, when there's more month than there is paycheck, and then the bills come, and this sense of that. And then you fast forward to the end of the story, and all of a sudden now, here, is the, here are the disciples eating their fill. They've had an incredible, amazing experience. They've trusted Jesus. It's been multiplied. They've got leftovers. They maybe are laughing. They're having a good time, and they're feeling a freedom. They're not just enough. There's, there's more than enough. I think this is why we talk about finances. This is why we talk about that as part of our spiritual journey, about what happens when we trust the very thing that some of us find it the very hardest thing to entrust to God. 
We trust them, you know, God, I trust my children to you in some way, because it's more metaphorical, it seems, in some way, right? God, I trust my future to you. That's, in some ways, it's easier to do. It's more metaphorical, right? Like, I mean, I do. I trust you, God, but something about money, it's tangible. It's actual. There's actual steps, and I think that's where we struggle sometimes the very the most to say, God, how do I trust you for your kingdom and your responsibilities? And that's why it's a spiritual issue. And that's why the, how we handle our finances can be one of the, the fastest ways that we can grow spiritually, or it might be one of the, the, the key factors that is holding you back from growing spiritually. Learning how to trust God, how to place our resources into his hands. And so now they place their resources into his hands and life begins to look different. And I wonder for the disciples, how did it change their perspective? We know how it maybe felt, but maybe at this point they're thinking, what is impossible with God? Nothing's impossible. I mean, we just witnessed and they saw miracle after miracle and they saw this and they must be thinking, what can't we do with God when we trust our stuff into his hands when Jesus is there? And I ask us that question. What couldn't we do if we fully trusted God with our stuff and our resources? Versus just saying, God, maybe just a little bit. Here's the, what if we say, God, I trust you with it. What might be possible? And so this, anything was possible. And, and I think this is why we're talking about we are free to dream. When we start seeing possibilities beyond just getting past our day, beyond just having enough or just paying the creditors, and we can start thinking about the future, we become free to dream. Now, in this country, we talk about the American dream. I think God's dream is bigger than the American dream, but we have sometimes, uh, we hold on to these dreams. American dreams, we have material dreams. I mean, let's be honest. Some of us have material dreams, right? We're not all so super spiritual holy that we don't think about maybe having a, a nicer home or upgrading something or, or fixing the car or getting a newer car or doing a vacation. Am I alone in this? Am I the only one? Am I the only carnal one in this room? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's part of living in this world, right? I mean, we, and, and it's hard when we live in, in America in a consumeristic nation when we're, when we're just bombarded with advertisements and always being, you know, told it's, it's not enough, you need more, you need the next thing. And it's hard, we have to fight that. But there are things, there are things that we desire and some things that are natural, some things are wants, some are needs. What is it that we're after? Is there a dream that God has for you? Does it involve wealth? Hmm. You guys aren't sure how to answer that in church, do you? It's like, can I answer yes? No? What's the role of what? We're going to talk about wealth and prosperity. The Bible does talk about wealth and prosperity. Now, if you're looking for a, a church or a theology that teaches prosperity gospel that says that is God's plan for every person, that unless you are wealthy, unless you have an abundance, unless you can just, you know, are rich, then, then, then you're not receiving God's blessing, you will not hear that from me. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I look at Jesus' life, and I don't see somebody who lived a very prosperous or abundant life when it comes to material things. He didn't place value in those things. But yet we read throughout the Bible, we see many that had wealth and abundance and had, had blessings in that material way that did amazing things in this world and for the kingdom of God. Proverbs 21.3 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. The Bible does talk about abundance. The Bible does talk about wealth. Money is just a thing. It's how we relate to it and what it does towards us and for us that we have to talk about. But we feel this tension, and I think there's a tension there that how do we reconcile God's blessing, his provision, and his abundance with being taken captive by money, by becoming preoccupied with material things and the trappings of success and wealth? That's the tension that I think we live in. 
is how, you know, success often comes. If you're successful in business, you're successful in your career, you've done some great things in, in saving and planning, and, and there's material wealth there. Is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? We have to understand how do we handle this. We're going to look at that today as we talk about being free to dream. So really what we're talking about is the, the future, right? A dream is something that hasn't happened yet. Dream is looking at the future. And so there's a time factor. We look out to the future. And so when we get to a place where financially now you've done the things, you've dug yourself out of debt, you've managed and you've budgeted well, you're free to live, you're doing some of these things, now there's ability to say, okay, what does the future hold? Are there some dreams, some things that, that God has for me? And if you think about the future and you've been around for a while, you know the future has both its ups and downs, right? It's not just, I have this dream and it's going to happen just the way I dreamt it. How many of us have really had that? That's hard, right? We realize dreams are often a direction that we head in, but things come up. We have ups and downs. We've got a good economy and a bad economy. You know, crypto is going gangbusters and then it goes busters, right? It's just like you never know what's going on. You have a job and you get a raise and things are going well, a promotion, and you can get laid off or you can get fired or you get a demotion or there's a cut at the company. Right? There's so many different variables in life, health variables that come into play. You know, obviously you're, you're, you're single and you've got your income to, your, to yourself. You get married and maybe you have two incomes and then kids come along and all of a sudden the income starts not reaching as far and you have more kids. So the future is up and down. There's changes. And so we have to think about both of these pieces when we dream about the future. We have our dreams and we have dream killers. And I want to look at both of these here for, for a moment. When we think about dreams, what are you dreaming for for the future? for your family, for you, for what you could do for the kingdom of God. I've got a, a friend who's a, a pastor started um, an organization, a, a movement that, that's called Kingdom Dream Initiative, Kingdom Dreams Initiative. And he's realizing that in the congregation, not just within pastors and churches, but there are dreams that God places in the hearts of people to do something, whether it's for their community or for a school or in missions or, or whatever God has placed and say, how do we, how do we mobilize that? How do we mobilize these dreams and resource these dreams and entrepreneur those dreams? What dreams is God putting in you as you think about the future? Now, here's what the, the Bible says about being prepared. Jesus tells this example of, of if somebody wants to build a tower, right? You want to build something, you have a building in mind, and here's what he says. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Now, Jesus isn't giving, you know, construction advice here. He's talking about discipleship. <laughs> He's talking about being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus. And, and if you were prepared for what that means and that there's a cost to following him and that, there's a, that you need to be prepared for what that means. But I find it interesting how many times Jesus uses these examples from economy, from finance, to share how this works and, the, and these principles that he says are part of the principle of this kingdom and economy. And he says, don't Start building unless you know what it's going to cost. You have to think ahead. So when we did the Renew Initiative and we start saying, here's what it's going to take, we start talking about what, what do we envision? What do we need to change? What needs to happen? Then we start budgeting. We start planning. We share it with the congregation and we put it before us. We begin to invest and we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to commit our resources over the next three years and we're not going to be able to do it right at once, but over three years we can do that. We're putting this principle into practice. And last week I got to share that we surpassed $500,000 in giving here uh, for this initiative. And I believe that deserves another round of applause. We've passed the, the five, we're at the $500,000 giving mark, allowing us to do this debt-free. So we have to have some goals. What are some of your goals? 
They don't always have to be super spiritual. The, the, the Bible says that our Heavenly Father wants to, to bless us and give good gifts to His kids, to His children. A dream we had for, for our family, a bucket list thing, was uh, I wanted to take my family to Europe, the place where I was born, where I have roots, where Shannon and I got engaged, where I went to school, and some of the things we saw, and of course to eat uh, you know, some of the awesome sights, you know, good bread and pastries and all that good stuff, you know, torts and... Oh, so good. I wish I would have spent more money on another uh, tort when I was in, in Germany. But the idea of thinking, how do we do that these years ago? How do we take a family of six? It doesn't seem possible. It was a dream. But it was something I really wanted to do with our family. And, and so a few years ago, we started setting money aside. Started doing some side hustles, trying to raise some extra funds, trying to, you know, COVID helped. We didn't spend money much in 2020 and be able to set some, some things aside. But it was a dream, and it was something that, that then we blew a bunch of money in a short period of time, and what else could we have done? Could have done a lot of other things, but I'm so glad we did. That was something that God placed on my heart. You might think it's stupid. You might think it's wasteful. That's something that I felt we wanted to do, and I'm so glad we did. But there, there are other things. I think this time in my life, as I think about the future, we've got a first daughter in college. We'll have another one in college next year, and for the next 10 years, we're going to have one or two in college if they all go, right? That's a, that's a decade of, of paying a lot, and, and so how are we going to do that? So I said, girls, scholarships. you got to get scholarships, and they're doing all right so far. But we have to figure that out, and, and Shannon got a second job, or got a, she got a job and went full-time in, in that role. We have to do things to accomplish what we also need in the future. Retirement. How many of you dream to have some time where you're not being, uh, you know, having to engage in full-time work, but you can enjoy some time in retirement? And basically, those of you who are retired know you pretty much have to self-fund your retirement. You know, it's hard to rely on the government totally, but what do you do? You have to have a plan. So what does Shannon and I do? We set some aside. We're thankful for the church that provides, you know, for, for retirement as well. We're grateful for that. We sit with a financial planner that's provided from our, from our uh, church organization and saying, are we on track? What do we need to do? What does it look like? Count the cost. Prepare. What is the dream you have? And those dreams can motivate us. Those can pull us forward. We had a dream to start a church years ago. You know, it's different than coming to an established church, but where there, it didn't exist. And we had to have this kingdom dream. How is that going to get funded? What's that going to look like? There was nobody saying, like, here, just go start it. We met up with an organization, we raised funds, we made a plan, but those dreams don't get realized, and it's fun to look back afterward and see, God, what was not there before, because of a dream, because of planning, came into reality. That's the freedom that we can experience when we plan and, and, and have the resources in the right way and do that in a God-honoring way. But it's not just all up and to the right in life, as I said. We have the ups and downs. We also have the dream killers which is emergencies and crisis and challenges and things that you didn't expect that, that come across your way. What do you do in those times? There's a great story in the Old Testament. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a story about Joseph. And Joseph is in Egypt. And Joseph was sold into slavery, if you remember. And he rose up and then rose, you know, was thrown in, in ranks and then was thrown into prison and was kind of forgotten in prison. And one night, Pharaoh has a dream. And he has this weird dream. Ever wake up with a really weird dream and tell that to somebody? And everyone's like, that's just strange. In our family, we sometimes try to interpret each other's dreams. Well, Pharaoh has this, this weird dream. And he has this dream that he sees this river, and out of this river come these, these seven cows. And these cows are, are beautiful looking. They're, they're plump, they're fat, they're healthy. I mean, these are beautiful bovines. I mean, they're just coming up out of the water, and he's just like, these are amazing cows. It's a weird dream. Dreams are weird. I mean, even Pharaoh has weird dreams. 
And as these cows come out, coming out of this river now are seven more cows, and these are nasty cows. These are gone, and they're emaciated, and they look like death themselves. And they come, and they eat the seven healthy cows. And after they've eaten the seven healthy cows, they still look the way they did. And Pharaoh is a little disturbed by this dream. It's kind of a nightmare. And he has another dream that has like some similar things, and he can't figure it out. None of his advisors can figure out what it means. And then somebody remembers, wait, there's Joseph. He's in prison, and once he interpreted a dream for me. And, and so Joseph gets cleaned up, and they shave him. They put some clothes on him. They bring him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, Joseph, will you interpret this dream for me? Joseph says, well, I, I can't interpret dreams, but I'll do the best I can with God's help. Tell me your dream. So he tells him the dream about the beautiful bovines and the sickly ones and all that kind of stuff. And, and Joseph says, well, here's what I think it may mean. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 41, verse 29. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. <laughs> So you see this here, there's seven prosperous years that he's seeing, but he also sees there's going to be seven years of hardship, some seven lean years. So difficult, as a matter of fact, that if you go through that period of time, you're going to forget how good you had it. And some of us have experienced that in life. Maybe there's a time in your past where you were, things were going well, things were going great financially and in life and whatnot, and all of a sudden, tragedy hit, heartache hit, difficulty hit, financial stresses hit, and you don't even, you don't even maybe remember what it was like before. And so we deal with these hardships. And how do we go through that? And, and, and Joseph had a, had a suggestion before Pharaoh, and he said, well, here's what I suggest, that over the next several years, during the good years, set aside a portion of the crops, a fifth of the crops, and put them into storage and put them into barns. And so then when the lean years hit, we'll have plenty for everyone to survive the famine. And so he did that, and Pharaoh liked this plan, and he actually put Joseph in charge to, to execute this plan over the next seven years, and he did that, and then the famine hit, and you know what? They were ready. They were prepared to survive those years, and they did survive those years. And unbeknownst to Joseph, this was part of God's plan to reunite him with his brothers and with his dad, who had sold him, the, the brothers who had sold him into slavery. God used the famine, but also the abundance that was there in, in Egypt to bring them back together and to help the nation survive. How do we prepare and plan for dream killers? What are you doing? Are you living just for the moment or for the future? Do you have an emergency fund? We talked about that last week. Many suggest three to six months of expenses to have an emergency fund. There's insurances that are available, things that we have to think through to say, God, I want to make sure we're also prepared for what can come. We trust you, God, but he's also given us resources and ways to prepare for the future. So how do we prepare? Because we know it's really hard, again, to, have dream, you know, to see the dreams and to overcome dream killers. If we're financially shackled, we're at the mercy. When the hardship comes, if we're not prepared, we're going to go further into debt. And we may never realize the dreams God has for us. Well, we have to understand the difference in money in these two broad categories. Spending versus investing. Some of you like one better than the other. <laughs> I think most people like the spending part better than the investing part. Until you start investing, then sometimes you like the investing way more than the spending. But here's how I would categorize the differences. Spending is thinking now about using our money, right? We're thinking now, this is what I need, this is in front of us, here's the here and now, here's the things around us, and I'm going to use the money, and money is, is good for that. Whereas investing is thinking long about growing our money. 
Right? So it's a, it's a time perspective, and it's a, it's a different goal perspective. Is it the now, or is it something that I want to grow, that I want to see in the future? Is it something that I'm using in the short term, or something for the long term? This is investing, and some of you guys hear investing in economics, and you're like, <laughs> lights out. I don't get these numbers. Jesus talked about investing. Again, he used examples, and he used uh, financial examples all the time. We started talking about one of these uh, last week, where Jesus talks about ROI, right? Return on investment. Jesus talks about it. Matthew chapter 25. Remember last week we talked about that the, oh, the, Jesus tells the story of the kingdom of heaven, and the owner leaves, and he entrusts a servant, one with five bags of silver, one with two bags of silver, one with one bag of silver. His, the owner's money, and he's saying he entrusted to them to do with it now for the, for the owner's purposes. Well, what happened? We read here in, uh, in chapter 25 when the master returns. So after, note, a long time, so a long period of time, right, talking about investing, their master returned home from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came back, uh, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to do what? To invest. And I have done what? Earned five more. Right? See the language there. He, he doubled the money. That's a pretty good return, right? Would we be happy with the doubling? Good. This, this was what he did. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. This was no small amount, mind you. This was a massive amount. This tells you a little bit the perspective of the owner on what, what, what we as humans think is a large amount. God, the owner, has unlimited resources. And he says, you've, I've trusted you in handling the small amount. You've been faithful. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I mean, what a great response. You've handled well. Again, it's not just a parable about how do we use money, but how do we use all the resources, including money. For the kingdom of God, the gifts we have, the job we have, the place and the position and the, the, you know, the opportunities God presents us, all those things. And he invested them well. And then the one with, just, with the two bags of silver, same story. He doubled it. And you know what? He got the exact same amount of praise from the master. It wasn't about the amount. It's what we do with it that counts, right? It's not just about the amount. It's how do we invest it? He doubled it and he got all the same praise. But then the one bagger came up. <laughs> If you know the story, the one bagger, not a small amount either, but he was afraid. He didn't want to lose the money, so what did he do? He buried it. He's like, I'm going to keep it safe. I at least don't want to lose it, so that's a good thing, right? He didn't go into debt and spend it, but he didn't want to lose it, so he buried it. He was afraid of the master. And then he comes back, and he shares with the master, well, here's your, dusts off the, the bag, just pulled it out of the ground. Here's your silver back. You should be happy, right? I didn't blow it. Remember, the master was gone a long time, and here's the master's response. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least it could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Why didn't you at least put it in a money market account? Why didn't you at least get a CD and gain some interest, right? He understood inflation and the devaluing of money. But again, it's not only a, a parable about money. But he understands the importance of investing and thinking long and having a plan for what happens with our money. And then he says in verse 29, to those, this goes to all of us here, who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Doesn't that just sound like the feeding of the 5,000 and the leftovers? They will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. 
Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yikes. Again, it's a parable about more than money. But we see here the importance of thinking about long-term and return and doing something with what God has given us, our money included, our gifts, our talents, all those things together. Faithful kingdom investment leads to abundance. Abundance isn't only just financial. It's abundance and a richness in life in a lot of different ways, but these principles do hold true financially. And here's the thing, investing, as we've talked about, you have to have the long-term view. And it's hard to have a long-term view, again, if you're short and if you're shackled and if you don't have enough money. I mean, you're just trying to get through the day. You're trying to get through the week, through the paycheck. And so we need to take steps to move beyond that. But when we can get to a place where we can look further out in time, it allows us to dream what might be possible. And so when you think about investing, time is our best friend and a boring partner. Time is our best friend and a boring partner. Time the compounding of interest, the, the growth that can happen financially that we see here even in Scripture as it happens, like do something with that money. It's great, but it's a boring partner because, boy, it feels like nothing happens. If, remember if you've ever started investing, how when you started putting something aside, it doesn't seem like your investment's doing anything. You're looking at it, and time goes, and it just seems like it's just barely creeping up. They always have, like, here's, like, if you see financial charts, here's the line of what you invested, and then the other line is, what's your money grown to? And then the first couple years is, like, the lines barely diverge. It just seems like the same. But over time, something amazing begins to happen. Interest compounds, and I'm not here to give a math lesson, but there's some pretty amazing things. And it's a principle in the kingdom. It's the reap-sow principle. It's in the Bible. We read about it, but this plant small seeds, stay faithful, and harvest a big crop. We look at it in nature. So many times the Bible uses nature as an example of investing and harvesting and planting and putting seeds, right? Like, like investing those seeds, planting them in the ground, taking care of them, nurturing them, doing what's right. And over time, you will reap a harvest many fold over what was there. And so we see that in the Bible. And we see that, again, mathematically speaking. It's so easy for us. Again, we talk about spending versus investing. Now versus long. It's so easy every day to go grab a cup of coffee Anymore, they're like three bucks, isn't it? Hard to find coffee for much less than that. If you get something a little fancier, or maybe you get a, maybe you get a, you know, a Coke, or maybe you go out to eat, and three bucks a day, that's about 100 bucks a month. So here's your choice. You can do that for the rest of your life and enjoy a cup of coffee and something like that every single day. Or you invest $100 a month for 45 years. So from the time you're 20 till you're 65, you just do it $100 a month and you get 10% return, you'll have spent $54,000 investing into that account. But what's the return going to be? $650,000, give or take. Hope that coffee's delicious. Right? But not saying you can't drink coffee, but you have to think about these, these things if now or later. What's the compounding effect? What's the, what's the return by having these long-term goals? What might that allow you to do? Proverbs, thir- uh, Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Delayed gratification. It's so hard for us, isn't it? <laughs> it's so hard. We want things now, and things look good now, but it's a difference between living for the short term versus also looking at the long term and understanding those difference. differences. Sacrificing today for a greater blessing tomorrow. What are you willing to sacrifice now so that you can enjoy something later tomorrow? That's the ability to dream, to look ahead, to sacrifice the I want it now. Sometimes we're like little kids, isn't it? We just want it. I just want it. (laughs) 
I want it now. <laughs> I don't want to wait. I don't want my old clothes. I don't want my old car. I don't want my old house. I don't want my whatever. I want it now. It really gets at, again, what's our desire? What's our longing? What are we content with? What can we do? Let me put it this way. The desire for your dream must outweigh your short-term appetites. That's why it's important to dream, because that's the thing that's going to pull you forward. What's the dream? What are those things that you're looking for, that you're wanting to, to be a part of, that you want to experience, that God's placing on your heart? That's got to outweigh this so that in the moment you can say, I'm going to deny, deny myself this now for a greater blessing in the future. So I want to close out here with just looking at perspective. What's the perspective? You know, we talked about earlier, like you gain wealth and you grow it. What's the whole point? Just to have more money, to have more numbers in an account? What's it, what's it all for? And, and how do we reconcile abundance with, with generosity? We're going to look at that next week as well. But here's what Ecclesiastes 5 says. There is another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. The Bible talks about money, saving, hoarding, leaving an inheritance, and at the end also saying, we come with nothing, we leave with nothing. What's it going to matter when you're on your deathbed at that point? You can't take those numbers with you in your bank account. And so how do we balance this? And, and, and the scripture reminds us there's something about hoarding, this idea of having to hold on to it for security or whatever other reason there is. How do we allow abundance and the things that God may bless us with to not consume us? That we have a right perspective, a healthy place where we can say, what is the value on this? Listen, it's okay. It's okay to have nice things as long as they don't have you. That's a hard question to wrestle through. Do things have us? Has something got a hold of us? Here's the, I would put it this way. The problem is we can't see greed in the mirror. <laughs> Did you know that? We are really good at seeing greed through the window. Right? You know what I mean by that? You look at somebody else, you can know exactly how somebody else is spending their money wrong. <laughs> if I had that much money, if I had that job, if this was what God blessed me with, oh, man. Here's what I would do. We have a really hard time looking at ourselves and saying, because we always think, oh, I don't, I don't have it. But if I, we, always, we always compare up, don't we? Anyone else, right? We rarely compare down. Not that we should be comparing at all, but when we do, we're comparing to, to somebody with more. But I wonder, what would somebody say to you who's, who's living in, in a hut in the slums in Soweto and looking at your bank account and the house that you live in and the car that you drive and how you're spending money if they were the ones to determine whether or not you're greedy, right? It's perspective. We have to be honest before God and say, God, does this stuff have a hold on me or can I let it go? And that's the question. How easy can I let something go? Could I part with something, whether it's material things or dollar things or whatever it is? What hold does it have on us? Ultimately, Jesus says, look, don't spend your life. He gives an example of, a, of somebody who keeps building bigger and bigger barns. He's been blessed. He's doing well financially, and businesses are growing, and so he builds another barn to contain his stuff, and he gets another, you know, storage unit to get some more stuff, and another storage unit, and he's got all these storage units full of stuff, and Jesus says to him, you fool. He says to him, you fool, this very night you're going to die. He says in verse 21, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. 
Jesus is worth risking and investing it all for. In the end, if we lose the perspective, and this is all about just gaining wealth and, and, and having dollar amounts, but don't think about the kingdom of God and think about our relationship with God and our relationship with money, what's it for? And this is about a spiritual issue, having the right perspective. Yes, God wants us to not only survive, but to dream. To dream for his kingdom, to dream for you, to bless us with, with good things. But we've got to keep it in the right perspective. So what are you going to do? <laughs> if you're a trustworthy manager of God's resources, he's going to take your not enough, and it's going to become enough. And ultimately, it's going to become more than enough. And in that way, God can do amazing things as he's done through this church and so many of you and your generosity that God continues to give. But if we're shackled, we cannot be free to dream. So we've got to make the right decisions. I like the way Dave, Dave Ramsey says it this way. He says, are you willing to live like no one else so later you can live and give like no one else? Are you willing to live like no one else now? I mean, don't do the things that everyone in society is doing and just spending it all and going after everything to, for what purpose. But if you hunker down now, later you can live and give like no one else. That's the freedom to dream. That's the freedom to bless that we're going to talk about next week. And I just want to remind you again, we are offering that Financial Peace University course. I strongly, strongly encourage everyone to go through it, whatever stage you're in. It's beginning very soon. It's an online course, so you can you know, do that even from home, but you're going to be connecting together with others in that process. And I'm telling you, it's, it's so important. So please take advantage of that. Let's allow God to change our heart and our perspectives. Let's feel that freedom when we trust him to do and handle our money in the way that he has entrusted us to manage it. And when I think about that for us as a church, we have a responsibility in the same way. How can we dream and the freedom to dream and what could be possible and the ministries and the reach? And, and every time we, we make a plan for the new year and we think about what impact can we have on the mission field? What partners in the community can we partner with? What ministries here in the church do we need to add to or to expand to? It does take resources. It takes finances. And it allows us the freedom to do those things. And so thank you for being generous. Thank you for allowing God to use you to be a conduit of his blessing so that we can multiply that in the world around us and be generous and live with an abundance. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for speaking into material things and financial matters. God, we know the kingdom is so much more, but it's a reality that we live with and how we handle this as much as we handle relationships and, and love and work and Father, just these things of everyday life, our health, God, you care about us not being consumed by our finances, but finding freedom. And Father, no matter where we are on the financial spectrum of health, God, I pray that you would help us take a step closer to honoring you with our money, whether that means just doing everything we can to get out of debt, or God, whether that means just budgeting and resourcing well and being generous towards your kingdom, being, being inspired by new dreams. God, I, I pray, Father, that you would help us to experience financial freedom so that, God, ultimately, again, our heart can be at peace and trusting in you for all of these good things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.